and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we're going to do something slightly different. We are recording this episode on November 5th, and it has been a bit of a tense week in Quite the U.S. It is, uh, we are still awaiting election results. It looks like it's going to be, I'm guessing, at least tomorrow before we know anything. So what we had planned on talking about was guilty pleasure reads, and we were going to do kind of a typical episode where we each recommended three. Uh, but then we decided that to ease our, our own sort of burden. <laughs> Um, we couldn't we concentrate. Bo- we Let's couldn't concentrate. Yeah, we couldn't concentrate. We were very focused on refreshing uh, news feeds and things like that. So we decided we're just going to talk more generally about guilty pleasure reading, what that means, if it is even a thing, uh, and then also a little bit just about in a stressful week like this, what does our own reading look like or what are our sort of strategies when you do feel distracted? And we've talked about it a little bit before, I think, with like comfort reads and stuff right. like that. But I thought that it might be fun to revisit what, what a week like this or always around the holidays when I have a lot going on. And especially if I'm traveling or something, I, my reading tends to really dip. And what does what does that mean? Because you and I read so much and love to read that it's never like we're truly not reading. So right. what does it look like if we're stressful? So or if, we're, if it's a stressful week, rather. Uh, so first, let's talk about guilty pleasures. And is guilty pleasure really a thing? <laughs> That's so philosophical. I know. I have my feelings on this, but I want to hear yeah. what you think. I think that I think we're in the same camp where we used to feel that it was and now don't right. anymore. So I know for myself, I... Um, definitely used to be much more high-minded in my reading which is it's kind of funny because I I always loved cozy mysteries and always loved mysteries in general but but never felt any kind of uh I don't know, shame is too strong of a word but mm-hmm. I never felt any anything was wrong with that but I but I know that I look down on a lot of especially women's fiction and mm-hmm. romance and um I had a I think I've told you this story before that a, a friend of mine who was in library school uh, before I started library school, was reading a Mary Kay Andrews book, and I was totally making fun of her. <laughs> and and she said it got really good reviews, and it's and it's on some, I, I can't remember what her what library she was looking at, but but some library's top ten books of the year, and so she wanted to read it, and I just thought that was so funny. And then I started library school, and it completely changed my perspective, and so I really. I don't know if it was quite a 180 shift, but but pretty close to a 180 shift on my on my views of of everything. So um, I used to have a section on my Goodreads account that I you know tagged things as guilty pleasures, and I looked at that as I was preparing for this, and I I quit tagging things with that at a certain point because I didn't believe in it anymore and mm-hmm. I didn't think of it. So I think I could I know what type of book I. I think would fit into that generally, mm-hmm. but I don't have any shame about it. I, right. I don't think that you should ever have shame about anything you read, no matter what it is. And so, and so I think I should re- rename that, that shelf like fluff reads or something right. like that, that, yeah. or, or feel good or something Just like that. Just for that, fun or something. Yeah. Like that. That, that sort of reflects more of what I'm looking for when I need that kind of book. So. so it's so funny to me because I feel like I am the exact opposite of you and that I was never judgmental about what other people would read. Like mm-hmm. if 
if somebody, I don't know, I just thought you do you. It doesn't affect me what you want to read. Right. Uh, but it's a much, a much um, healthier and adult well, no, uh, no, but, type of but thing I, than what I was doing. In my own reading life, though, I do remember feeling a little bit reluctant at some at a point in time when I was reading romance novels and there uh-huh. would be sort of a salacious cover or something yeah. that I would feel a little bit of embarrassment about sharing that with my Goodreads um, friends. So I was more, again, I was the opposite of you. I was more inclined to say there is no guilty pleasure reading for other people. But to me, it felt like, oh, well, this isn't really something that I would share with a whole bunch of people that I'm reading romance novels. Uh, But now I don't care. Now I am happy to talk about it. I'm happy to talk about any book uh, that I like or have read or talk about it other books that people have liked and have read so i i just don't think there should be anything guilty about something that brings you pleasure as long as it's not hurting anybody else i mean if it's something that that brings you happiness or comfort or whatever it is there is no guilt to that it's there there's a reason why all these books exist it's because there are readers for them and so that's one of the sort of tenets of library science is every book it's reader and the idea is it it doesn't have to be something you would like to be something somebody else would like and so i i strongly feel that way that there's there shouldn't be any guilt associated with anything that you're reading for pleasure so yeah i i do think one other thing i thought about that i do think this became more accepted when Twilight maybe was all the rage, but Mm -hmm. adults reading teen novels, I feel like often couch that in kind of, or uh, previously, not now, I don't think it happens as much, but there was a time where if an adult was reading a a teen book, it felt a little bit like shameful or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I I don't think that's the case anymore, but I, I do think that, I don't know that everybody would have always proudly stated that they were reading a teen novel when they right. were an adult. Uh, but I again, would even I, put it be, before that. I'd say with Harry Potter that that was the, Oh, maybe the that shift. was it. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Maybe it was or, Harry or Potter. Or the pre- precursor to, right. to that. Um, That's absolutely true. Yes, you're right. But yeah, I just think that the books, again, for me, I think that what I would have at one point thought of as guilty pleasure books were very uh, steamy romances, probably, mm-hmm. because I don't even know that I would have been embarrassed to say I had read a historical romance that from the outside looked tame. You know what I mean? It right. was it was it was definitely the outward appearance, which is partially why when the Kindle became a thing or e-readers in general, mm-hmm. romance readers really embraced those right. quickly. They were very early adopters of those because there was no judgment because nobody could see that what they were reading. They could right. just see that they were reading. And so there were all sorts of articles and things when the Kindle first came on the scene about how romances were just so much higher in sales for the Kindle than Uh, other types of books. And romance is a billion-dollar industry. I mean, it's already a huge presence in publishing, even though not everybody always likes to admit that. But (laughs) uh, romance fans are generally very voracious readers. They often read 50, 100, 150 books a year, and Mm -hmm. they're buying them. And so, yeah, it's, it's funny because it took away that sort of shame or guilt or whatever whatever feelings were associated with being a romance reader that that they could kind of read it without any sort of judgment from anybody else right and there there are plenty of romance authors who are 
exclusively to ebooks too. Mm-hmm. They don't even mm-hmm. publish their books in in print, and so um, it kind of makes my job tricky, actually, because I do collection development, and and since romance isn't my my big genre, I. I always feel a little shaky on that. And especially Mm. because I know that there can be an author who's a giant bestseller in eBooks. And then she does her first um, print publication. And because Mm -hmm. I'm doing all print, I'm not familiar with her. And then I always feel a little unsettled like that of, of hoping, well, I hope she's, she is just a first time author and not (laughs) some giant name in, in, ebooks that I'm, yeah. I'm not giving off credit to when I when I decide what to do with her book so um it's just a completely different phenomenon with with uh romance than than I think any other genre yeah for sure absolutely um which we should also mention the the big um title in there of, of right uh, yeah 50 shades of gray that was the, that kind of is seen as the 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 big push to ebooks where we're suddenly an erotica because suddenly all, all kinds of people could read that book and not ever have anyone question it and, mm-hmm. and didn't have to, and it really became a huge bestseller because of, of it being, uh, because of it came out at the same time that ebooks came out. Yeah. And I would also readers, say, I say that took away some, I think, in my opinion, took away some of the stigma of reading books that had a lot of sex in them because yeah, for sure. It was so mainstream and so many people were reading it that it felt like nobody was being shy about talking about that they read those books and liked them. And I think that that also did a lot to take away some of the previously held notions about romance novels and right. sex and romance novels and things like that. Well, so, lots of lots of uh, library collections wouldn't collect erotica at all. Mm-hmm, Just they mm-hmm. had a, a policy against it. And then Fifty Shades of Grey comes out and you're you can't say we're not going to right. carry the biggest book in the country because this is our policy. Like there would have been anar- library anarchy. anarchy. Completely. <laughs> Completely. <laughs> and so I know that that shifted buying quite a bit where mm-hmm. where suddenly you had authors who who had been really underground that now are are being considered as viable options for the library right. so yeah um, and we're not talking like pornographic no titles it's just no. just erotica so so it's interesting to me because you don't really read romance so what kinds of books were I, on your guilty I pleasure am some Oh I've well, now so you far. are. I know you have come far, but what uh, I'm I'm asking because you said you oh, had before a guilty that. pleasure shelf on Goodreads. So, what sorts of books were considered guilty pleasures for you at the time? Um, so, lots of cozy mysteries because okay. I, as much as I love them, I'm kind of always making fun of them too, just because they're so goofy. And I, mm-hmm. but I like goofy. And mm-hmm. um, if you have ever lived with me, you know one of my favorite things to do is to. I'm going to call it hate watching stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds stronger than I, th- I think is really fair because I still am enjoying it and I'm still mm-hmm. very invested in, in whatever thing. But I have a lot of roommates that I got hooked on America's Next Top Model in the day. So oh. so that kind of thing is is very fun for me to to watch things and watch it with with. I mean, there's a reason I'm really into Eurovision and, mm-hmm. and things like that. It's not fake that I'm pretending to be into it but I'm also not completely buying into it as well I guess is mm-hmm. the the best way of putting it so mm. um so anything that kind of fit into that for me so so cozy mysteries because they're very formulaic and um kind of hokey that that is really fun for me to um just 
really lean into that. So there's there's that the Hannah Swenson series by Joanna Fluke is mm-hmm. is like the my peak um, guilty pleasure <laughs> book. I never read them. I only listen to them. And so for me, they're just the perfect thing for driving to my sisters. And it's like an eight hour audiobook maybe which is the perfect amount of time and, mm-hmm. and it's super easy to listen to I don't I don't know that I can say I love to hate Hannah Swenson I think I might actually just hate her the, oh the character but I, I guess I do love to hate her because then because she's just so frustrating to me and so mm-hmm. um I mean, she's a character who's who's very uh know-it-all and um everyone else in her life sort of it doesn't have their lives together and then she can be the knowing person who who figures it all out and um i find her insufferable but i still listen to these books <laughs> every single time i take a, a long drive so um so that to me is my guilty pleasure where where i can't i would never pretend i'm not reading them but i also have some some strong issues with the character but i also thoroughly enjoy everything surrounding that character even though i don't like her very much so all of the the um like the small town life the cooking the the very tame mystery to it i just find that really really comforting to listen to and um but because i i don't like her at all i feel that that sort of puts it into guilty pleasure territory for me yeah i hear you on that because i was just sitting here thinking i think i've talked about this before so i'm sorry everybody if you're rolling your eyes think you've already heard this but (laughs) i i used to read the janet ivanovich stephanie plum books until maybe number 14 or so every year one would come out i would read it and every year i would be so frustrated because no forward movement ever happened (laughs) there was never any character development always it's sort of the same thing was always happening she's always deciding between two guys then at some point like a third guy show up and her grandmother's always zany and her father's always long suffering and it just it all felt the same over and over and over so i just stopped reading them i thought again there are people out there who I'm sure find that very comforting. They know what they're going to get. They want that. They want mm-hmm. all those sort of trademarks of it. But I just thought, I don't need to read these anymore. There are plenty of other books to read. And then one time, I don't know why, I decided to listen to one on audio. I hadn't listened to one or read one in a few years. And I think it was maybe when we first had digital audiobooks at the library, maybe, or something. So for some, I suddenly had access to yeah. this library of, of audiobooks and I would try to pick something that was readily available because yeah, and, you're, and you're just was, like what what do I do this is what do I have here yeah. right so I I started back up and they were so entertaining as audiobooks <laughs> and I've said before I have a very low threshold for an audiobook being entertaining for me because I'm always doing something else so I'm walking the dog, I was making dinner, I was getting ready in the morning, whatever it was while I was listening. So it it never felt like wasted time. Whereas if I'm reading a print book, if I'm not loving the book or just enjoying the book, I think there are so many other books I could be reading. This is a waste of my time. With an audiobook, it doesn't need to be the best book in the world. It's entertaining me while I'm doing something else. It's not time I would be spending doing anything. Right. I already am doing something else, so it's not wasted time. So those books just fit the bill perfectly. So to this day, when a new Janet Ivanovich, Stephanie Plum book comes out, I listen to it on audio and I find it hilarious. And then it's like brain candy. It's out of my head. As soon as I'm done with it, I couldn't tell you anything about the plot. And I'm fine with that. And so I guess that's sort of where I would, again, no guilt associated, but that's sort of a fluffy kind of pleasure to me is 
that kind of experience of it's enjoyable. It makes me smile. It's not going to be an award winner. It's just going to exist as what it is. And and so, yeah, I think that I understand what you're saying about your Hannah Swenson audiobooks because I'm sort of the same. Uh, There was another series, the Charlie Charlie Davidson series was another one that was like that, which is actually... Dorinda Jones. Yeah, Dorinda Jones, yeah. Uh, Which is actually very similar, in my opinion, to the Stephanie Plum series. Lots of similar sort of humor notes and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But same thing. It was was never going to be a a master of literary uh, craft. It was always just going to be a fun, entertaining read. So Well, and it's very frustrating to me. So I had a friend um, several years ago who who is still a friend, but I I, he's in a a different place in his life right now. So I don't really talk to him very often. But at this time, we lived in Beaufort and we're kind of the only two people our same age so um he had he hadn't spent a lot of time at the library but he thought it was cool that I was it that I was a librarian but he kind of felt like there should be some um guidance to readers that I was doing that that the public library shouldn't just be a place to be entertained but you should be educated and and obviously we believe that education is a huge component of the public library but it's also just as big of a component with the public library that you're there for that you, you can be entertained there that's that's one of the things that I think most public librarians really believe in so um so he disagreed with that and, and he would make comments about the stuff I was reading if it was too frivolous and and it was always very lighthearted. it wasn't it wasn't like a mansplainy uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing and I can definitely hold my own in those kinds of situations and so um I didn't take too much offense to it but I remember going to see uh, Pacific Rim with him, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. was the movie with the the robot Godzilla kinds of things, and he was so into it, and I I was like, this is what is the difference? This is <laughs> right. This is your candy. This what's wrong with this? You're entertained. You're not getting anything from this. You're not learning about plate tectonics from this. Mm-hmm. You're just in, entertained. And so, what is wrong with? reading for for that same purpose and he he just had never put that together i don't know if he still put it to i don't know if he got it mm-hmm. but i could always pull out pacific rim anytime he and you have some feelings about the group of people who usually are on the receiving end of comments or judgments about guilty pleasures do you a certain gender of people, right? Oh, I do. <laughs> do you want to talk about <laughs> what, that? What are you leading into? <laughs> yes, um, I, I'm not the first person to observe that guilty pleasure is generally reserved to things that women like. And that when we talk about things that are, that are uh, considered a guilty pleasure book or show or whatever, whatever it is, it could be... Um, you know, food or anything too. It, it's always things that tend to be like women focused. And I don't know what men guilty pleasures are considered. I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard anything. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of talking off the cuff right now, but I, I don't know that I can think of anything like, like if a man reads a spy novel, he's not told that's a guilty pleasure book. He, it's just right. a book, a book to him. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know that I have anything really hard hitting to say about that other other than it's it's 
uh, any example I could think of of guilty pleasure things in the world. I, I and I don't think that's just because I am a woman and I don't and I you know am surrounded by that kind of advertising. I think mm-hmm. that that's just how we talk about things that women like. And right. and I'm not going to say that everything every everything that is considered a guilty pleasure should be. I mean, I, th- I think people should enjoy it no matter what and not be shamed out of anything. But I'm not going to say, like, this is the the greatest thing in the world and we shouldn't be disparaging it. But it's it's just frustrating sometimes when mm-hmm. you, you realize I, I've been in so many situations where I've, I've felt like I've had to justify the thing that I like or or um, I mean, just in that very story that I had to justify my profession to someone mm-hmm. who who enjoyed just as many things that were fluffy it's just a different type of thing. So Mm -hmm. have you had those kinds of experiences or what? Yeah, I think that I've noticed that before things that I think, especially teen girls is, are often the target of some of that stuff, things that, so if you think about boy bands or um, I can't think of other good examples, but things that often get, a lot of big teen girl following are often sort of made fun of or yeah. looked down upon. Or like Disney uh, I mean, Channel kinds of Disney, things. Right. That, or, that sort of stuff. Yeah. or like romance. I mean, I'll go back to it. I don't want to be a broken record, but I, I mean, romance novels are a huge moneymaker for the publishing right. industry, but yet often they've been the receiving end of a lot of uh, derision. So, uh, and I think it's because mostly it's a female audience. And mm-hmm. so, um, I don't know. I don't really have anything hard hitting to say about it either, but it's just disappointing. I think that, uh, like you said, that sometimes uh, there are are these connotations about what women should be doing or something like that. that Like, why should anything be considered guilty for um, something for entertainment or enjoyment? Right. And and watching you know to generalize watching football mm-hmm. is a fine way to spend the afternoon but if you are watching top model that's a right. waste of time like it right. doesn't right there's no difference there. right so right. um one one thing that that kind of fits into that of of um like a teen girl book that that gets a lot of um flack along with things like Twilight is one of my favorite series, Pretty Little Liars, which right. when we told, ha- I told Hallie, or when we decided we were going to, to do this, I said, finally, Pretty Little, Pretty Little Liars will have its day on, on the Well-Read podcast because it's such a fun series. But when are you going to ever talk about it in context? Of, like, I, we haven't had any topics where it's really come up as, um, I mean, I guess a comfort read episode or, or right. something. So, um, but it's such a fun series and it's a, it's a good mystery. It's very, mm-hmm. very impossible to figure out. It just has so much name dropping for um, uh, brands and consumer goods that it's, it is very fluffy, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a really, really fun series. And, and so that's another one that I've mostly, I think I've, li- uh, I've maybe read the first one in print and then have listened to the rest of them. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just a good time. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know many, many, um, maybe not many, many, but I know singular many adult women who have read that series and really enjoyed it and um, have been stumped by the mystery because it, mm. it's drawn out over several books. There's, I think, 16 books in the series, but the the 
central mystery gets solved after eight. And so then the second, um, the second half of it, I think kind of delves into a different thing, but it's just, it's just a good time. And I think that uh, like one of the things that's been the, the most helpful thing to remember as an adult is that everything has its time. And so Mm -hmm. anything that, that to me seems in my mind, kind of not, the thing I would pick, I have to remember there's a person who that who really appreciates that thing. And that thing is exactly what they need in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that just because something isn't for me doesn't mean that it's not for someone else. And so mm-hmm. I wish that generally, we could all be a little kinder to each other and in, in our tastes. And, yeah. um, and I say this as someone who has definitely made fun of people for <laughs> for liking certain things. I hope that I've I've matured some in yeah. those years. But um yeah, it's it's it, it really changed my mind to go to library school and to to sort of appreciate the purpose of things that are not literature. Well, and I also think it's good to read some of the stuff that maybe you did make judgments about at one point and then it helps you see the appeal of it. So cozy mysteries not ever going to be my favorite genre, but right. I could read one and enjoy it and understand why somebody would eat that up with a spoon like absolutely completely and so I think it's helpful to just every once in a while read something that maybe or watch something that maybe wouldn't be something you would gravitate towards but just do it so you can have that perspective of oh I get I get why someone would like this or I get this is such a this is such a good story or it's so fun to see the small town or whatever it right. is, whatever elements of it that make it appealing to people. I think you can see when you read some of those things. And so and I know not everybody reads hundreds of books a year the way I do, but I don't know. Just every once in a while, pick up something that maybe you have sort of looked down on before or not or sort of rolled your eyes at maybe or thought, well, why would anyone read that? I yeah. think it's I think it's kind of fun. You read it and and it helps you see, oh, wait, I get it. I get why why somebody would like this. And Well, and we're both people who deal, um, who think a lot in terms of appeal for mm-hmm. books. So mm-hmm. so being able to recognize that this serves this purpose um, at kind of a, a deeper level than just plot, but, mm-hmm. but that there's... A, this type of atmosphere that's really appealing to this person or mm-hmm. this 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 um, type of character and so that's that's something that I always the, the, again I'm not talking about books we really should make this a book and movie podcast for this episode but yeah. um, I I have uh, very vocally talked about how much I hate superheroes and mm-hmm. can't stand superhero movies and anytime I start to get really worked up about how there's only superhero movies at the movie theater when I go want to go see a movie I have to remember that I love Agatha Christie books and right. for people who and and it's the exact same plot it's the exact same structure every single time I'm I'm reading them because I want the comfort of it and so if I feel if I see a superhero movie and I think or let's let's say comic books for for book purposes mm. if I if I read one and I think oh this is the same origin story that I've seen a billion times in in you know all all kinds of other movies and books um that's not the point and I have to remember that and so I think that it's it's good to uh be generous to other people in Mm -hmm. how we think of of other people's comfort reads too Mm -hmm. I agree with that wholeheartedly 
All right. Well, I think we should probably move on because we have a time limit tonight that we have to stick to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so quickly, I just wanted to, I was thinking about it today, about that sort of stressful life circumstances, what, how they impact my reading. And so I don't, do you feel like when you're stressed that that impacts your reading, Anne? Uh, oh, for sure. I read a lot less when I'm, I'm stressed out. I just don't, um, as, as much as I love reading, it's still more of an act than watching a movie. And if mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm really, really stressed out, if I have the time, I would like to just kind of do something without any action. Mm-hmm. And so, um, especially as I'm getting older, I'm finding it's it's harder for me to get into a book than it used to be. So I, I mm-hmm. still obviously adore reading, but it takes probably 50 pages for me to be really invested in anything. And I and my mind wanders a lot during that that first little bit. So um, so it feels more like work. And so if I'm stressed out, I'm not as likely to read. But if I'm in the middle of something, then it's it's um, it's not so bad. But if mm-hmm. I if I do want to just read something, then I definitely would turn to a cozy mystery or mm-hmm. um, something like Mary Kay Andrews for as much as I <laughs> made fun yeah. of her to my friend. I feel really bad because I really enjoy her books and she's a lovely person um, mm-hmm. if you ever meet her. Um, so that kind of book where it's it's just it's like slipping into a warm pool where you mm-hmm. you don't really feel the difference of temperature. You don't it doesn't take any work to get into that world it's just mm-hmm. um but it still feels very um not a- atmospheric but there's a strong sense of place and mm-hmm. and you're because that's what I'm, I'm really drawn to is to feel like I'm in a really described place and so that's that's just really really comforting to me and and really helps me uh get my mind off whatever it is that I'm I'm stressed out about because I don't I don't really want to pay attention to the writing style. I don't want to pay attention to character development. I just want a plot and I want to feel like I'm in a different location is essentially the two things that I need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me. So I was trying to think about the two kinds of books that I'm drawn to if I'm stressed out are either a a thriller, like a fast paced thriller Mm -hmm. that I can just get kind of caught up in, especially if it has maybe short chapters and the the story really pulls me along or romantic comedies that make me smile. Uh, those are the two. Anything else is just so hard for me to sink into and it has to pull me in right away because otherwise I'm out. Like I'm not. It, so for example, this week I've been paying pretty close attention to the news and checking my phone or my iPad fairly frequently to see if there is any election news. And so if a book can't be set down after three or four pages right. potentially uh that's i'm just not gonna read it i just am not i just hard for me to to concentrate enough to stick with it right it's the same concept of of when we talked about vacation reads the, right the things yeah. that you need to be able to just put down because you're on the right. go and so yeah yep. you can't you can't have something that will um require your attention for that amount of time absolutely so and sometimes i i think to myself it's also okay not to read. It's okay if I am mm-hmm. feeling distracted or would rather be watching something silly on TV or just hanging out with my dogs or something. That's okay too. That's all right. That I right. don't always have to be. I, I tend to, especially because I'm on this committee, I have a, this is November starts my really, really 
heavy reading time through January. And so right now there is a fair bit of pressure to read a lot because I have a stack of books that I need to read and consider for for this committee that I'm on. And so there can be a sense that any way, any free moment should be reading, basically. Right. And so I also have to be okay with this week. I just think to myself, nope, I'm going to, I'll have to double up maybe next week. But this week, I'm just going to be okay with the fact that I'm not spending as much time or as much brain power reading right. uh, as I usually would be. So, all right. Well, I don't know um, if there's really anything else to say about that. I was just thinking about it today and thinking I was curious if, if when you're stressed out, your reading takes a hit or if reading is sort of an escape. Because I think for some people, th- that's a time that they read more because it's, mm-hmm. they can get away from whatever they're they're stressed about. So Yeah. It, I think it really depends on the type of of whether I'm in a book in the moment or whether mm-hmm. I I can start something new because if I'm in the middle of um, like right now I'm reading all the the Jane Austen books I said I was going to read this year uh-huh. um, and that's not that's comforting but it's not easy I would say to read and so mm-hmm. uh, at least the editions that I'm reading because it, it's full of annotations and so um, so it just takes more labor on my like mental labor on my part so um, so yeah just not the thing for this week yeah. for me not for not this week. Next week. Next week. Next week. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, we will take a little break and we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, and so after all this discussion about not reading this week, what are you reading this week? <laughs> I'm going to skirt the question because, like I said, I'm I'm doing my completest reads that I talked about as one of my goals this year. So they're all people that I've talked about already this year. So I can't talk about the same author over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I could, but I will not. So this is a book that I finished a couple of weeks ago, and it definitely would be Uh, in the camp of a guilty pleasure read if I believed in such a thing. So let's call it a fluff read. And it's called Spellbooked by Joyce and Jim Levine. And it's part of a series called The Retired Witch's Mystery. So it's a a witch-focused cozy mystery series. And it has the perfect Halloween-y cover. And I think that uh, I I normally don't hang on to books unless they're a a five-star favorite kind of book for me but this one I think I might keep and keep in my Halloween decorations and then I can put it up for the cover because it's just so cute so (laughs) I love it so it's narrated by Molly who is 50 something and she owns a shop called Smuggler's Arcane with her two best friends and uh one is is Elsie who is um I think in her 70s and then Olivia is is Molly's contemporary and they, they live in Wilmington North Carolina and the the shop looks like it sells curios and novelties but it's actually a front for a magical supply shop for the witch community in the region and there's a magical cave that they get to from a, a trap door in the in the um, floor of the shop that they use to perform their spells and they keep their cauldron down there and um it's very uh, mysterious, but also very cute because they've never really been very powerful. And the things that they've used their magic for are things like housework and try- how to find your car keys and helping out their business in small ways. But they've never really done anything big with their magic, um, but they were born to it. And so um, it's it's something they've had their entire lives. But uh, in this world, magic dwindles as you age. And so that's the point they're at now. And so they need to recruit some new witches to replace them so that they can retire to Boca, which is apparently a huge witch community, if you know. And so they have 
the spell book that they need to turn over to whomever they they recruit as well so the so molly's friend olivia is um painted in the very broad strokes of a a cougar type of woman so she's in her 50s and she's very beautiful and she has all kinds of relationships with men of various ages and with ghosts which i'm very intrigued by (laughs) i'm not saying i would i would date a ghost (laughs) but i'm not saying i wouldn't date a ghost i feel like there are a lot of potential complications with dating a ghost probably i feel like you might be kind of unreliable They'll just appear, disappear. They might be, but they'd also be very spooky and very dapper. (laughs) Dapper? Really? I mean, that's what I'm imagining. (laughs) All right, continue. So so one night at the very beginning of the book, she leaves the shop with a young male witch that she knows and she's familiar with. And later on in the evening, Molly sees this mysterious orb sort of floating through her house. And just after that, her husband, who is the... Um, who's a detective on the police force he tells olivia that that or he tells molly that olivia has been found dead in an alley downtown and so so molly knew that this was olivia's spirit visiting her for the last time so molly and elsie are of course distraught and they know that um something really terrible had to have happened because it's almost impossible for a witch to be murdered and so they decide to investigate and to find the man that olivia left with and um they sort of rope in this young librarian, which is great because librarians are great, um, who's named Dorothy. And she doesn't know she's a witch yet, but she's the person they've been observing to try to introduce her to her power so that they can introduce her to or they can kind of recruit her for the coven. And um, one night she's sort of um, drawn to the shop in a way that she doesn't understand. And so she's um, she's helping with their investigation, but it's complicated because through their powers, they see the moment that Olivia dies and they find out that her last words were Dorothy's name. So she's involved somehow that they don't quite understand. So um, it's a very light book and it's the perfect reading for this week. I sort of wish I were reading it this week instead of the, the Jane Austen that I'm trying to get through. Um and it was very Halloween-y if you don't like scary kinds of things because it's just mysterious and fun. But one of the things I, I did really like about it um, that's kind of unusual is that it touches on aging and the elderly. And that's kind of a big trend in publishing right now with, with a lot of books um, um, coming out that are are having elderly protagonists or or just dealing with, with what it means to get older. And so there was, I'm not going to say depth to this book, book exactly but it just touched on themes that you don't typically see in in cozy mysteries and so the characters talk a lot about feeling washed up and being replaced um very literally in in their lives with with younger people and not having a future when everything that you know is is now behind you so um there's there's just a, a sense of loss to these women that I found kind of interesting in this book. So um, there's there's moments where um, Elsie, who's in her I think early seventies in the book, her daughter is trying trying to strong arm into strong arm her into doing things that she wants, not what Elsie wants with her own life. And so it sort of touched on some things that are I think real feelings for many readers of of that the demographic that it, that typically buys cozies and that they would understand that. Um, you just don't see all the time in, in a cozy mm-hmm. mystery. So I, I appreciated that. And I, it gave me kind of a new perspective on, you know, I'm not in that demographic, but it, it was interesting to read about that and to think about some things that weren't as familiar to me. So um, so I quite enjoyed it. And that is Spellbooked by Joyce and Jim Levine. <laughs> 
That sounds cute. Yeah. Well, what I'm reading is called Hench by Natalie Zena Walshot. Oh, yeah. This one sounds so fun. It is really fun. So I'm maybe halfway through, but it's about... Okay, so in this book, in the world of this book, superheroes and supervillains are very real, and everyone knows that they exist. They have people who are their trusty sidekicks and they're, hen- they're evil henchmen. And that's like a job for people. Like you apply to be the evil henchman to <laughs> some supervillain. So Anna is the main character and she does henchwork for a temp-, temp agency. And she's just trying to get by. It's, just, it's kind of catch as catch can. And it's not actually nearly as dangerous as you would think being a henchman for an evil supervillain would be. But uh it, it, it gets her into hot water every once in a while. But her true passion is really data and spreadsheets <laughs> and crunching numbers. She has a job through the temp agency, and it, it causes her to have a run-in with a superhero where she gets really hurt. She ends up um, having, like, a spiral fracture in her leg, so she ends up having to have surgery, and they, she has to be off her leg for months. And so during this time, she starts looking into it because she starts thinking – well, he was the hero. He's the superhero who hurt me. And in the process of supposedly saving all these people or saving the world, he actually hurt quite a few people too. He caused quite a lot of destruction and death. And so she starts thinking to herself, what are the numbers here? What are what? What's truly the difference between a villain and a hero in the damage that they cause? Because it, it starts seeming to her like there maybe is not that much difference because all in the name of whatever their abiding principle is, they're actually still causing quite a lot of damage. So she starts basically tweeting about it, although I don't think it's Twitter in the book, but just on social media, she starts publishing all of this information. And it draws the attention of this evil mastermind named Leviathan, who hires her to help take down his enemies. Uh, And suddenly everybody starts questioning whether... The good guys are actually the good guys, and if the bad guys are actually the bad guys. And it's just, it's really fun. It just sort of turns the superhero story on its head a little bit. It's a bit of a satire, but it's really, really funny and kind of cheeky the way that the, the, the author approaches the story. And so I don't, I don't actually read much superhero, like I don't read many superhero comics. I don't watch many superhero movies. I've never seen any of the Marvel movies. So this isn't, I'm not the target demographic here for this book. And I'm still finding it highly entertaining because you, if you live in the world, you know enough about superheroes to know some of the tropes and things. But my guess is if you were into comic books and superhero comic books or movies, you would be loving this book because I think it's probably very very revealing about a lot of the things that uh, are are just sort of known or understood in in superhero stories, and they're like I said, turning the author's turning it on her, the head their head a little bit, uh, and it just feels kind of fresh and new. It's I guess it's technically science fiction, um, but it feels like it feels inventive. It feels like a fun story, and again, it has a lot of humor to it. Um, Anna, the main character, is also. Uh, trying to figure out some personal relationships that she has and how this new sort of notoriety that she has and her new job with this mastermind, how that affects the people who love her. And I, so I don't, there's just a lot to love about it. So it's called Hench by Natalie Zeno Walshots. It just sounds like such a fun take on, to me, a very tired 
genre. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I, having discussed that a few minutes ago, you know what I mean. But it's it's we just haven't seen anything that's that's like that to mm-hmm. at least as far as I know. So I think it sounds really fun. And it, I, I think it was on Pop Culture Happy Hour where they have talked about some some series where they they don't um they're very frustrated by it because it has so much loss of life as the hero is trying to Mm. stop the villain and so um i can't remember it might have been the new superman movies i don't remember though but they they were very down on it because it it's just like buildings blowing up all over the place Mm -hmm. and people dying and that's that's for those of us who think of those things that can be really frustrating so yeah. it sounds really cool that someone has taken that on yeah it's it is it's a fun one it's really fun and like I said I don't think I'm necessarily the target audience for this book but I'm enjoying it a lot and it actually has been a great distraction read because it's very fast-paced it's lots of action and like I said I, I I'm always a sucker if it's funny too like if it's not just action 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 like there's right. a, there's a lot of a lot of humor sly kind of humor in it so uh all right well we don't really have books to list off uh so i guess we'll just wrap it up i hope that <laughs> i hope you're all out there reading a non-guilty pleasure book because there are no guilty pleasure books um and that everybody is safe and well and staying sane if you are yes mentally healthy mentally healthy exactly yes if you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com you can find us on our facebook page you can find us on twitter you can find us on instagram Uh, all those places we're at wellreadpodcast please rate and review us on whatever your podcast provider of choice is our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Fair. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com. And there you can find a listing of every book we've ever talked about. Thank you all for listening and happy reading. And we'll see you soon.